You are listening to the 9010 rule. 90% business, 10% music. So half of my city tickets to see me rock at the Kendrick show Funny how a year ago I was someone you didn't know Searching for a beacon, walking back for down this Abbey Road Never trusting women, that's Ellie Goulding's a cinephobe Okay, here we go again, I'm rolling up these neon trees Hoping that the sky will open up and allow me to breathe Destiny just jumped out of a plane without a parachute Cause I just got my first advance and spent it on a pair of shoes Keeping up with the hovers, reaching for supernova If all these Rappers are blind, what's beauty to the beholder? I'm so ahead of my time, keep on my sins slow Ain't seeing it out of eye, just let me your finger Nothing for me to fix Except buying designer clothing And having no one to stand Her Paris is burning The walls falling like Berlin I'm so allergic to saving And so addicted to splurging yep. Taking calls from families The toughest pill to swallow When every congratulations is followed By can I borrow And you wonder why the music is there Before the ride along Walk through the city of Versailles alone Thinking to myself I'ma die alone Hand in the clouds when I got off track But I find a way back and I'm still intact They selling me a dream but I ain't no buyer Keep a head up they say that the second coming is usually the first of something Marinas for ballerinas is now where we get it bumping yeah. I can't ever fall asleep These visions keep me up at night Cause I'm chasing a dream to the other side Other Side by Chancellor Warhol featuring Boss of Nova. You can check them out online at ChancellorWarhol.com right here on the 9010 Rule. Artists, if you want your music featured on the 9010 Rule, email us your songs and notice of approval to play my shit at the 9010Rule.com. All submissions without written consent will not be considered. Today on the 9010 Rule. I've had deals that potentially could make me a lot of money that I haven't closed. Uh, just because it's not in the best interest of the client. I like to wake up every morning and see my face and say, I like you. <laughs> I really do like myself. I like my position in the music space and, and just my perspective. Um, but, but unfortunately, 
Um, you know, I think when it comes to the legal profession as a whole, lawyers are not regarded as these uh, kind and friendly people. So I think from a just from a, a lawyer, generally speaking, you've got to overcome that challenge. And then you've got music lawyer. And I think when you have people who are talking to you, lawyers talking to you, and we do speak a foreign language, uh, and that is by design, because if everyone could speak our language, we'd have no jobs, right? <laughs> I, you know, if contracts were really just one one page um, and not 72, we, 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 we'd, be out of, we'd be out of work. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I think when you, you encounter a lawyer and then you've got the persona of a lawyer, um, and they're speaking this foreign language and you don't understand it. It's a very scary thing. But I'm a big believer in that you have to feel comfortable not only with your lawyer but with your team. And you have to regard your lawyer as a part of your team, not this uh, separate entity that's just kind of doing stuff for you. You need to have a relationship with your lawyer, almost like you have with your manager. You should be able to call within reason. Do not bug your lawyer. Um, but, to feel but to feel comfortable and saying, hey, I don't understand this. Hey, can you explain this to me? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the 9010 Rule. As always, I am Kevin Davis, and uh, I got my partner with me, Brian Jennings. What up, B? What's going on, everybody? And um, today in the studio, I got this badass attorney in here. Yo, one of the coldest to ever do it. Evita Kegler, how you doing, mama? Hey, hey, I'm awesome. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to just talk about all things music and everything that I do in a very badass way. So I'm excited. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's what's up. Well, yo, obviously, I just told everybody that you are an attorney, but maybe you can talk a little bit about, well, entertainment and kind of your role in the whole thing. Well, I am a music lawyer. So, you know, music is my drug of choice. I don't do any television, film, personal injury, bankruptcy law. <laughs> I, am, I am all music. And it, uh, it, for me, it is a, it's a dream come true. It is a uh, blessing. I am honored to be able to play a role in music every single day. It is extremely challenging, uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it uh, for, for the world. So you know what I do every day is I, I wake up and I look at my uh, my email <laughs> immediately and all my social networks. And on a day to day basis, what I'm doing is I'm taking care of contracts. I am consulting with clients. Everything dealing with their music, their business, and their brand. I like to consider myself as, as something a, a bit more than just a lawyer. I am certainly a legal eagle, but I'm a music person first, first and foremost. So I love being involved in the creative aspects of, of my clients, whether, uh, you know, we get a brand deal in and I say, hey, listen, you know, this is your brand. This is your brand value at this point. This is what your brand stands for. This is your music. This particular deal is not consistent with that. And to be able to be in a position with my clients where they trust that and we have that conversation um, you know, getting albums before they're released, uh, having clients ask me, you know, for, for feedback. So, you know, that's a little bit of, of what I do from a consulting end, from a, a, a deal making end. Like I said, from a, a badass, I am a therapist, I am sister friend, I dry tears, I do all of, all of the above. But ultimately, I am, you know, making my mark and playing a role in making music happen. Absolutely. Yo, okay. So now, well, let me ask a, a, a stupid question. I want to go ahead and get it out of the way, okay. and, but I want, I'm asking it with a purpose. Though. All right, then it's okay. not stupid. So how important is an attorney in, and excuse me, how important is a music attorney oh, yeah. 
in an artist career? Oh, like I love the fact that you clarified a music attorney um, because if you bring me uh, a tax, some sort of tax legal stuff, I'm not the person for you. Like we're all in trouble, right? Your taxes are going to be messed. <laughs> your taxes are going to be messed up, and I'll be, I'll be very, very honest about that. Um, so to have a music lawyer is is definitely what you need to have, and. Um, I would I would even take it a step further and say a music lawyer that truly understands the music space. For me, you know, I've been doing this for nine years. Every I know what to expect from a major record label as far as their deals, producer agreements, publishing deals, endorsement deals. I know what to expect. But what makes the difference is the context within which the deal exists, the client, the client value, the client's genre. Uh, the client's goals, what the client wants. Um, you may have clients that are more interested in the financial opportunity, or you may have clients that aren't interested in the financial opportunity, but the brand opportunity. So it's really understanding the music space and that how it ebbs and how it flows and what the market is looking like um, that makes all of a difference. So that's why you need to have a music lawyer, because if you don't have a lawyer that understands the space, they're not going to be able to create the best deal for you mm-hmm. or give you the best advice. So you have to have a music lawyer, but just generally, um, you absolutely want to have a lawyer because here's here's what will happen. You will get an agreement or you will have a, a legal conversation or a conversation that involves legal things. You're not necessarily having a legal conversation. And one, you're either going to get overwhelmed or two, you're going to take the bits and pieces that you think you understand and move forward with that, completely disregarding what you don't know and everything else that you didn't understand. So you want to have a, you know, you definitely want to have a, a music lawyer because I always tell people it takes two seconds to sign a contract. It takes forever to get out of it. So get get yourself a music yeah. lawyer. Yeah, you said a little gem right there. Cause, <laughs> and, you know, because I've, I've heard different stories uh, from some of my friends who are artists and, and they talk about how they they got in deals where it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a good look for them or they knew they were going to be shelved or, you know, things of that nature. And so trying to get out of those deals or even being able to recognize some of the breaches in those deals that's on, you know, one or, or the other party, um, I, I guess that is probably one of the more more common ways that I've heard them talk about their experience with their attorney and how it's been that relationship has been useful to them. Um, but I don't know. Maybe you can talk about some of the things that you feel like. Like, what do your clients come to you and say? Hey, this is really important, and I need you to look at this right now. And you know, here's what's going on, backstory or whatever. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, um, you know, as I said earlier, I, I feel very honored to be in the position that I'm in. It is certainly a dream come true for me. And and furthermore. I feel honored and, and blessed and grateful to have clients that trust me 100%. Um, I am at a, a point in my career where I get to pick and choose uh, what I want to be involved in. And that is awesome because I've certainly paid my dues. Um, but I have clients who trust me as a, uh, a voice in their careers. Uh, this is what Avita does. She handles the really the business affairs and the legal end of of the totality of their careers. So what I find uh, that I do a lot is really educate. I'm very passionate about making sure that my clients are educated. Um, 
that they're in a position to make informed decisions. And it's ultimately my love for education in the music space certainly bleeds beyond my client base. And then also from a, a selfish standpoint, I always tell people, especially when I first start working with them, I am not interested in being a part of anyone's VH1 story about what their lawyer did not tell them. I'm just not interested because I work too hard on my yeah. own brand and building my own practice and my own reputation to ever have anyone say that I didn't educate them. So I, from, that's from a, a more of a selfish standpoint. I really... Um, I want to make sure that people understand the business of, of their craft. And so that way, you know, when, when you're an artist or just a creative person, the legal stuff, it's a foreign language. However, you have so many demands every single day that require you to be engaged in the business of your craft. I want my clients to feel more confident, um, more comfortable when they're having conversations about the business of their craft, but always understanding that I'm here to support them. So I have relationships with my clients where whenever these things come up, they have a general, a working knowledge of what it is, but it's always send it to Avita, give it to Avita, talk to Avita. And, and they just, uh, they trust me. And so that's the kind of conversations we're having. Hey, we got this deal in, you know, it's $50,000. I know that sounds good, but do we need this right now for what we have to give? Okay, you've got an album coming out. You know, we've got to get the album papered. We need to get the budgets in. We need to get all the producers paid. So it's, it's just, it's, it's ongoing Every single day, the work is never done. But that is the conversation as opposed to clients coming to me and saying, hey, I need this. It's everything that involves their business affairs. It comes to me and then I I handle it. So I think a lot of our listeners right now are very confused because the stigma that they have attached to an attorney is one of greed. Mm -hmm. Um, They have the stigma of basically the lawyers are in bed with the labels to try to get a better deal for the label because they, they can send more clients their way. Are, are you familiar with some of these stigmas, some of these ideas of attorney? Yes. Yes. Give, give, me, give our listeners an idea of how you can kind of break those down because, I, I mean, just sitting across from you, I don't see that in you at all. I, I, I truly believe that you care about the music and the artist. So if you would, kind of talk about those stigmas and how you've overcome some of those or maybe even an example. Yeah, that, well, I appreciate you for identifying that in me because I, that is definitely something that I'm, I'm very proud of and it is a part of, of, of my brand and my person because I am in this space because of the music. Um, and like I said, I've been doing this for nine years. I have absolutely worked more than I've been paid for. Um, and I guess the saying is, you know, whatever it is that you do for free, you know, that's your, that's your passion. Ultimately, we want to get paid for it, right? Um, and after some time, you get paid for it and get paid well. Um, but my my heart is in this. I absolutely care about music as a gift, and I care about the people that create the music. So I think uh, naturally my position and my perspective and my approach is going to be a lot different from most lawyers that I deal with. Um, a lot of the the stigmas they're true, unfortunately. Um, and uh, you know you've got people in the music space that don't really care about the music, but they care about the industry of the music. Um, you know, which is kind of its own element separate and apart from music itself. Uh, and some, some of the stigmas are, uh, you know, you, 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 you're afraid that your lawyer is going to close a deal that isn't in your best interest um, because the lawyer gets paid from that, from that deal. I can say that I've had deals that potentially could make me a lot of money that I haven't closed uh, just because it's not in the best interest of the client. 
I like to wake up every morning and see my face and say, I like you. I really do like myself. I like my position in the music space and, and just my perspective. Um, but, but unfortunately, um, you know, I think when it comes to the legal profession as a whole, lawyers are not regarded as these uh, kind and friendly people. So I think from a, just from a, a lawyer, generally speaking, you've got to overcome that challenge. And then you've got music lawyer. And I think when you have people who are talking to you, lawyers talking to you, and we do speak a foreign language, uh, and that is by design, because if everyone could speak our language, we have no jobs, right? <laughs> uh, you know, if contracts were really just one one page um, and not seventy two, we 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 we'd be out of we'd be out of work. <laughs> but uh, but you know, I think when you you encounter a lawyer, and then you've got the persona of a lawyer, um, and they're speaking this foreign language, and you don't understand it, it's a very scary thing. But I'm a big believer in that you have to feel comfortable not only with your lawyer, but with your team. And you have to regard your lawyer as a part of your team, not this uh, separate entity that's just kind of doing stuff for you. You need to have a relationship with your lawyer, almost like you have with your manager. You should be able to call within reason. Do not bug your lawyer. Um, but to feel comf- <laughs> But to feel comfortable and saying, hey, I don't understand this. Hey, can you explain this to me? Um, there's also the stigma of lawyers being expensive. And, and I think just generally um, creative people not knowing how to engage a lawyer. Um, what are you paying a lawyer for? And lawyers are expensive, but you want to find a lawyer that's worth it. That's well, they're not more expensive than the trouble you could get yourself in true. by not hiring that true. lawyer. <laughs> this is very true. True. This is very true. <laughs> Thank you for pointing, pointing no, that no out. No problem. Yeah. So I've heard you mention trust a few times. Yeah. Kind of talk to us about how you got to be Evita the lawyer. Talk to us about uh, the, the beginning stages and how you made the decision. Wow. So this is one of those stories where you hear people say, well, it stems from my childhood. That is definitely the, the case. You didn't sing in the church choir? I did not sing in the church choir. I did sing. I still sing every day. But I'm definitely a more talented lawyer. Okay. <laughs> then I am a singer before you ask me to sing. I was going to. Um, <laughs> so I, as a kid, I... Uh, sing, dance, twirl, all of the above. And I have specific memories of my, my parents are entrepreneurs and they have a, uh, they had a back office and I had a radio and a bed and it was just me, the radio and bed and maybe some toys, but we had the double decker, uh, radio, definitely aging myself where I would play the radio and I'd record and then I'd be the DJ. And then I'd, I'd do that whole, do that whole thing. Um, and then I grew up in the 80s, 90s R&B, um, where things were really melodic and really smooth. Um, just had an ear for it. And like I said, I would sing all the time. And so naturally, I gravitated towards, oh, I want to be a singer. Because as a kid, that's all you identify music with is the, the performance aspect of it. I really right. didn't know anything about the executive side, too, and certainly not a music lawyer. Uh, so I grew up in Detroit, and my parents and I moved to Atlanta in 1997. And at that point, it was the LaFace era. Right. And everybody was singing, humming, twirling, everything everything that I wanted. And uh, I would go to the auditions. They weren't as bad as the American Idol lines, but they were you know, pretty significant. And what I realized was that everybody seemed to have a dream for music. And I felt in a very kind of, the only way that I could truly understand it, I felt that by me going to auditions and whatnot, I was having to compete for my place and space with music, but I've always felt that music belonged to me. 
if that makes any sense. It does. Um, so I felt like I, I, I never felt that I had to stand in line to be with music. And, um, and, I, and I had my dealings with, you know, some groups where people would say, I want you to sound like this or be in this group or look like that. And I wasn't in it too long before I realized, like, nah, this isn't, this isn't for me. And ultimately, I was just confronted with the music business um, when all the time before then it was just me and the music. So I read a book. I bought a couple of books, but I read a book called All You Need to Know About the Music Business by Donald Passman. And I was the Bible. 17. Classic. Yes, the, the, Bible. The, the Bible, right? Um, I was 17 years old and, and people, people were calling it the Bible then. And <laughs> I didn't understand most of the Bible of the book. Um, but what I did understand was that the person who wrote the book seemed to be necessary to music. Like if you're writing the Bible, you're pretty legit. So I just researched, uh, you know, who, who is this man and what does he do? He's he's clearly all knowing, and I was I was fairly fairly good in school. I never liked school, which is a whole other story. But I performed really well. Stay in school, kids. Stay in school, kids. <laughs> but if you don't like it, I understand it. Um, <laughs> that's just that's just my truth. True. <laughs> that's that is just my truth. Um, but I, I performed well academically, and I said, hey, you know, I could. I could do this music law thing. I can go to law school. And that was really the, that was the path. So at 17, I said, this is what I'm going to do. I still have rejection letters from some of the firms that I now, that sit on the other side of deals with me. Um, We, you know, we admire your aspirations, kiddo. They didn't have that in there. It's basically what they're saying. We admire your aspirations, but we we don't have any, any opportunities here for you. I still have those letters in a, in a shoebox. Um, and then I went to the University of Georgia, knowing that this is what I wanted to do. Then I went to Emory Law, knowing this is what I wanted to do. Uh, graduated, passed the bar, and did not have a single job opportunity um, to do this. And so I started my own practice. Yeah. To the young ladies who are listening yes. and are you know considering law or something like that, what is the space like for a, a female you know black entertainment lawyer? Especially carving your own way, because, Yeah. Wow. Um, well, I there, there's a couple of things that I had to um, kind of navigate the waters. Of. Besides your enemy list that you have tucked away in your shoebox <laughs> of all the firms that didn't <laughs> accept you. <laughs> Look at me now. Um, you know, I was I was young. I was female. I was in the music industry. Uh, you know, I'm a black young female. There were so many. I was a new lawyer. I had no idea how to be a lawyer. There's so much stuff that I had to learn. Um, but I came into the space knowing that there is a myth of sorts that in order to be successful, your lawyer looks a certain way, and I am not that image. Um, so I knew coming in, because I didn't have the uh, privilege of saying that I've been doing this for 20, 30 years, I had to find another way to connect with people uh, and that was by me building a brand centered on the music, um, letting people know that I am a music person first and foremost, who happens to be a lawyer. So I'm really no different than an artist, producer, songwriter, or aspiring manager. I just happen to be a lawyer. I just know something different. Um, so being a uh, a black female, there's all kinds of things that come with that. But what I have 
what I came to understand and what I think I have come to master is that me being a Black female certainly serves me and it serves my clients. Um, being female in the sense that I can be a badass, I can be a pit bull, I can be a silent killer, and I can also be very nurturing. Um, all of my clients, male or female, no matter what their capacity, they're people. They do need an ear. They do need someone to tell them that they can do it. Um, I, I can provide all of those things in an authentic way, and I do believe most of my male counterparts will not do that. Uh, you know, without it being some sort of you know weird moment for them, like I, <laughs> I, I, I fully, I fully own you know being a, a woman in this space because I can be nurturing and still you know get things done. And then just being a a black female um, certainly serves me as well, uh, especially dealing with uh, just kind of the culture. If you look at music and popular music, it just comes from our culture. I understand it. I know it. I grew up on it. Um, it's not some formula to me. I can speak it. I know it from a, a creative standpoint, from a, a brand standpoint, uh, connecting with a consumer standpoint. So all of the things that people tell you will work against you being young, being black, being female, certainly serve you and serve your clients, but you have to know that. Right. So it's about finding your strengths and yeah. amplifying those. Absolutely. And being, being young, being black, and being female are certainly strengths. That's dope. Thank you. That's dope. Yeah. All right. So throughout your career thus far, I mean, you've had a lot of experiences where you've definitely bumped your head in, in some mm-hmm. places and you were able to also be uh, successful in, in, in others. Um, I don't know. Can you, because I think that there's a little bit of a difference between knowing law and being an an attorney and like Fulfilling the role. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so you're just kind of want to know how did I, how did I even learn it, know it, come into my fullness as a lawyer? Right. Um, well, um, as I mentioned earlier, I did start my own practice, and um, I didn't know anything, like nothing. I didn't know how to be a lawyer. I didn't know how to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know how to be a business owner. I didn't know anything. I would just sit in Starbucks and just connect with people on MySpace <laughs> and just tell them, like, hey, I'm a music lawyer. And the funny thing is that MySpace just had this huge music community, which I think a lot of social media platforms do. And I would just connect with, with up-and-comers and begin to build my, build my voice. Um, but ultimately, I had no plan B. I wasn't interested in making a plan B. I mean, music is all I wanted. There's nothing else I would I would go and do. I could probably do some things okay, but there's nothing else. So I had no choice but to figure out um, how to learn it, the law, and how to become this lawyer. I had no choice. And uh, for me, because I didn't know what to fear, I didn't have any fear of it, in my mind, it was just, Okay, well, we're at this point. I, I got this. I can, I can figure this out. The vision for me was very clear, and it had been clear for so long. So it was very real to me. My challenge was I didn't know how to make it come to life. That was the challenge, not whether it was going to happen, but how I could get there. 
that was the only challenge. I I never felt like I could not do this or that I would fail ever, no matter how how tough it got. So I uh, self-taught. I mean, that sounds kind of, uh, I I kind of shy away from saying self-taught, I guess from a a real world, since I was self-taught, I didn't have anyone teach this to me. I didn't have mentors. Um, But but I think it's bigger than that. It's kind of a spiritual thing for me. Um, I don't take credit for where I am and how this whole thing happened. It just doesn't make doesn't make sense. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any mentors. I didn't work uh, somewhere else and then go out and start my own practice. I didn't know anything. And for me to be th- at this point nine years later, um, it's miraculous. And there's certainly a lot of war stories between then and now. Um, I always tell people, I know what it's like to be down to my last $5 a couple of times. Um you know, I know what it's like to, I moved in with my parents for three years after law school. Um, I had a car that was literally falling apart. My dad was like, you have got to get a new car because we are afraid for you. Um, and then just, you know, having my parents say, well, we've got this daughter. We believe she's smart. And then my dad, well, she's in the music industry. And as a father, I can only imagine. I mean, <laughs> you know, my dad was going crazy. Um, but they've always been, always been supportive. Um, so there's just, um, no fear and just kind of knowing that it would happen. And my challenge is just throwing stuff up against the wall and seeing what would stick. And then year after year, just taking a look at the things that the, the, the knowledge base and the lawyers and the deals you start working on and you're just like, oh my goodness, oh my, it's, it's, it's happening. It's just, it's tough for me to talk about it because it really is miraculous. I try to provide people, especially students with kind of practical things, but it's more so things that I should have done, but not what I did because it just kind of all came together and it was tough. Many tears, Many, many tears, many very broke moments, um, dark moments, but here we are. See, I'm curious about some of those experiences because I don't, I mean, I don't want you to say more than what you're comfortable with, Um, but like, and of course, anything that has said to you between your clients, you know, it's confidential and all that, but I, I don't know. Something that um, I guess a point where you started to feel like I got it. This is working. Mm. Well, I guess there's two pieces to that. Um, one piece is uh, you move out of your parents' house and you don't have to go back. <laughs> 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 so you've got you've got enough money to, to to support yourself. That's that's the first thing because you know when I moved out, it's not like I had. Uh, you know, six months saved up to kind of live. No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. It was like, all right, well, you know, I think I got enough to go ahead and make this fart and then I'm supposed to get another check. Let's hope it comes through. I mean, that's really what it, what it was. And you go out and you spread your wings and you, you continue to fly. Um, so that was definitely something. It's like, okay, you know, I'm out of my parents' house and I don't have to go back. Um, I'm living how I want to live. I certainly did not move to a starter home. I, I live how I want to live. Um, but from a, from a, a practice standpoint, I would say what helped me kind of really give me that confidence and that boost is when I found myself doing deals 
with lawyers that have been doing this for many, many years, um, some of them in the shoebox. <laughs> and uh, you find yourself conversing with them or negotiating with them, and you realize they don't know what the hell's going on either. It was so it was such a powerful thing for me to realize to be on the phone with them or negotiating, and they'll say, "Well, I don't know," or "Let me think about that." And when I caught wind that everybody's trying to figure this shit out, especially in the in the you can cuss the current music market, it was it was such an awesome thing for me because that whole gap of I've been doing this for twenty thirty years and you're just kind of starting. Um, it tore that wall down. Right. It didn't mean anything to me anymore because it had always kind of been like this, I felt was a handicap. Oh, you know, I got to do all, you, you certainly do have to earn your stripes and, and build up your wisdom. But I was like, wow. So they're winging it too, right? They're winging <laughs> it too. Right. And I think as a sidebar, I think if a lot of artists and producers and songwriters and other entrepreneurs in the music space, if they really listen to those who are more senior to them, they'll know that there are nuggets of wisdom there to learn, but everybody's trying to figure it out. And that's such a powerful thing because my position is that at this point, no one can really tell you what's the right way or the wrong way of doing anything in the music business. And so when I identified that for myself, oh, I mean, that was, that was, I mean, I became a, even more confident and I'm not going to say arrogant, but just kind of like, you know, I, I, it's, it's nothing for me to say, well, just because you say it's that way or how it's been done doesn't mean that that's how it has to be done now. Right. And you mentioned about, um, you know, the, the way that the market has changed. Yes. So, you know, traditionally when I got in the music industry, major labels ran everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very necessary to have an attorney. Then it turned into a situation where the major labels weren't doing artist development anymore, so they got independent labels to kind of come in and find talent. And, and that even disappeared, and it turned into production companies that were doing production deals with artists and developing them. So now where it is now, where there's like this, this DIY system that's in place, how, does, how do you fit into that? As, you know, so there's not the big, bad, scary label anymore. Now it's like, how do we get our stuff to market? What do I need an attorney for? Wow. Um, I think that's an excellent question because a lot of people have that question. Um, For me, and this isn't the case with every music lawyer, um, and I'm not going to say it's just specific to my brand, but what I offer is that education piece as well. And not just with regards to legal things, but also with regards to your music, your business, and your brand. So I can have a consultation session with you and talk about your music, your business, and your brand. Um, and we're talking about legal concepts only in the business, but we've got a whole we've got a whole plan. Um, because my my thing is, you know, you've got to have a you have to have some sort of plan. And I will say I'm not the biggest planner. I'm more kind of vision oriented, and it's like, all right, well, you know, let's figure this thing out. But I do believe that you have to to know where you're going and take some time and figure out what are your steps, big steps, small steps, and getting there. So that way you can uh, you can concentrate your efforts because in the whole DIY space, it's easy to do a lot and not have the results. It's easy to spend a lot of money and not have the results. Um, and, and, and particularly, I find myself on the soapbox saying, hey, you've got enough material for five albums. 
what are you doing? You have to stop recording. You have to do something. Oh. You have to do something. And that's the challenge, which is why I have the book. But that is the challenge. How do you put one foot in front of the other, especially in areas that you aren't comfortable in and that aren't natural to you? You're going to make music all the time. That's where you're supposed to be a rock star. <laughs> right. But that's, that's not all that counts. How do you connect it with people? I don't need nothing, 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 as long as we're okay. Well, that's okay with me. I don't need nothing, 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 as long as we're okay. Well, that's okay with me. Yeah, baby, you could change the Forbes list Cause no amount of money could ever amount to this Shit, I just wanna run your bath water And if she's like you, I'm hoping that we have a daughter There's this thing called life, I wanna spend it with you You know my last name, I'm kinda good at painting pictures Type to hold a man down when it goes wrong Who told you put them clothes on? Girl, I like you better when it's... But Miles Davis in the background I know you late for work, but baby, lay that ass down Got the headboard crooked She's sleepless in Seattle and I'm no sleep to Brooklyn Swear there's nothing like you Third rock from the sun, I just wanna wife you Third rock from the thumb So can I be your brother to the night? I'm the blues in your left eye, the funk in your right uh. Well, that's okay with me. I don't need nothing, 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 as long as we're okay. Well, that's okay with me. My chick bad, looking like a bag of diamonds. I swear she is the finest, so we'll dress her as your highness. Timeless, vintage cars on the countryside. Even when I had nothing, you was down to ride Standing in the purple rain, kissing under cherry moon If the sky filled a day, I would still shelter you Damn, I can't wait until the tour is up I got those pictures of you in bed and my button up I remember the first time when you was kinda nervous Till I went down and blessed you like a Sunday service <laughs> Your friends say I'm just trouble for you But do they know it's still jackets over puddles for you? Baby, we could dine out of pool all the Wine out, get it all in, baby. Bumping Amy Winehouse. So, can I be the brother to your night? I'm the blues in your left eye, funk in your right. Uh. Swear I'll let you down 
by Chancellor Warhol featuring William Wolfe. You can check him out online at ChancellorWarhol.com right here on the 9010 Room. Number one, the music. Number two, the music business. Number three, the music industry. Love the first, learn the second, and outsmart the third. That's your quote. Tell us about that. Oh man, that is uh, that is that is my quote, and I remember the exact moment that it came to me. Um, I was having a conversation with um, a manager. He was not my client, but he is affiliated with my clients, and he was going through uh, just some tough moments as a person in this space. Um, and he, you know, he was talking to me about how he just needed some downtime because all of these things were happening for him, good things, but then all these other things start coming with it. And he was really struggling with just kind of navigating through that, through that time. And I got off of the phone with him and I was just kind of in this, in this mode. And it just kind of, I don't know, it just kind of came to me. And I would, and I, I, I would say it kind of came to the a way that I could articulate it, but I think that's been my personal approach um, since day one, understanding that there are these different elements. I would say that nine years in, I have attained some level of success um, without really being a part of the industry. Um, you know, I don't party a lot. I don't, I'm not, I'm actually, I'm socially awkward. Um, so I, I, that wasn't my, that wasn't my way. I think there's kind of layers to the music space, which is why I call it a space, not just the industry or the music business. I think it's a, 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 an ecosystem of sorts that, that consists of all these different layers. And I think that you have to, just as I said, and, you know, in the quote, you got to know what's what so you can, so that you can navigate the space. And this led you to want to write the book. Ah, so uh, the book. Well, don't forget about the book. <laughs> don't forget about the book. Don't forget about, about the, the music. music. <laughs> <laughs> so the book is called "Don't Forget About the Music: uh, How to Build Your, Your Foundation for Success in the Music Space." Um, and I, I, I finished my first draft of this book in two thousand and nine. I was only three years out of, of of law school, so it was more of a passion thing. I've, there was just something that I needed to say and write down, and I've always been a writer. Um, but I had no plans for it. It was just something that was just kind of in me, sitting on me, kind of gnawing at me, and I just wrote it down, and I put it away. Then I began to teach from it at different schools and got some student responses, and I began to um, incorporate the, there's a there's a model that I developed, and it, it's my opinion that every uh, every question, challenge, issue, anything that you have to resolve in your music career has to do with one of four things or all of them, which is you, your music, your business, and your brand. So that's the model that I created. And the book is uh, focused on those four things. So we have a you chapter, your music chapter, your business, and your brand chapter. And we go through each one of those things, kind of 
breaking all of your pieces of your career down, uh, the book has exercises and word problems and group discussion questions and classroom exercises. Um, and a couple of things about the book that don't forget about the music is a, is a principle that I hold myself to. And I think a lot of people in the music space have forgotten about the music, um, which uh, baffles me and it startles me. Um, because that's why I'm here. Which what is, the hell are we here for? Yeah, right? <laughs> well, it's it's the thing, right? It's not a chicken and egg riddle. You know, it wasn't you know, which one was first, the industry, the business, or the music. It's like it was the music is the thing. It's the thing. And mm-hmm. if you have ever experienced music how I have, it's a, it's something that exists on its own. It's kind of, uh, I think music lives in all of us, which is why we naturally hum or we, we're uh, attracted to to melodies and I think music is just it's a, it's an existence of sorts um a spirit of sorts without sounding crazy um so it's the thing how can you forget about the thing so I definitely wanted that to be at the forefront like, don't hey don't forget about the music um don't forget about the reason why you're doing what you do and then as far as uh, how to build your foundation for success I find you know what we were saying earlier is that people they know how to create or there's certain things that they know how to do, but they don't know how to really build a foundation. They don't know how to grow in the music space. They know how to do, but they don't know how to grow. So I don't promise you success from this book. I promise you a way to build your foundation. I promise that you will grow, but you do have to do the work. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the backstory to the title, why I wanted to do the book um, is because I, I love being in front of creative people and watching the light turn on for them and saying, oh, I get it, or oh, that was helpful, or just seeing them uh, being inspired by a piece of information, whether it's students or creative people, whether it's my clients. And I want to be in a position where I can touch people across the world help them grow in a way that I can't do within the four walls of my office. I want to touch people how the Don Passman book touched me. So that's... So I, I keep hearing her say, I'm a lawyer, I'm a lawyer, I'm a lawyer. But then everything she says, I'm a visionary, I'm a visionary. So yeah. how, how long before you start your own label? Oh, oh I would not dare. I would, I would not dare. Well, you know what, what's funny about that, though, is that um, all the, the business dealings I've had with major labels and um, even some independents, they're all ran by lawyers. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, I mean, did you never see anything like that? Any executive position in a label or? No, there's no way in the world Uh-oh. I would remove myself from the space that I function in now, which is all me, everything I do all day long, it's, it's a reflection of my heart, my passions, and put myself inside of a corporate music entity. I would die. <laughs> I would die. I mean, there's just no, um, and, you know, and, and no disrespect to my, my friends and colleagues who work in those places. There's just, uh, there's not enough life and innovation in those places. Um, and I think it really speaks to why I don't work in a firm. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, I'm, I, everything, I want to show up to my office in my distressed, you know, jeans and my fedora and I will not be there at 8.30 in the morning and I want to express my ideas and I want to, uh, I want to break new ground. I want to be a rebel. You know, I want to tell people, 
you don't have to do it that way. Now watch me do what I do. Like that's who I am. Um, so to be in any sort of corporate piece of the music space as it currently exists, um, no. I, I I love the fact that you are, are are so passionate about it, and and you and and well, yeah, a moment ago because you just said something about like telling artists to stop recording, because and, and which is funny because. A lot of artists feel like the more they record, yeah. like there's a lot of emphasis on, yeah, I got 300 songs in my catalog. I got 500 songs in my catalog. I'm dropping this mixtape and that mixtape. And I did this song with that person and so on and so forth. And they think that is getting them somewhere. But a lot of times they end up just performing all those other songs for other artists in the same place where they performed them last week. Um, so definitely this book having giving them some some practice and and an opportunity to spar and grow, I think is huge. I think that's absolutely major. And then matter of fact, let me let me tie that in to uh to something else because well, well what's going on right now, of course, I don't know if you've seen uh, straight out of Compton yet. Yes, right. I have. Brian, you seen it? I saw so, parts of it. Right, right. And so this is a which I thought the movie was dope, but what was in in particularly special to me was the scene between Ice Cube and Jerry Heller because I've never seen on screen, like in all these music movies where you hear about artists uh, uh, losing their publishing or, you know, dying broke and homeless and so on and so forth. I mean, we've all heard the stories. But in this movie, they actually showed one of those scenes where it was like he was on the ledge. He could have easily taken that the check. transaction, And right? signed. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I wanted you to speak a little bit on that because oh, I man. thought that was crazy. You know, after I saw the, um, the movie, I was very tempted to write my own think piece. Just just no, but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't because I was just so. I it was there was just so much stuff in there as a lawyer, a music lawyer that just kind of, um, you know, just kind of came to mind. And I did not see the movie right when it came out because I was absolutely swamped. But I did go see it, and when I went to see it, um, the audience is kind of thinned out a little bit. So I was literally sitting in there talking to the screen. Don't sign it. Don't sign it. Good for you. I was talking out loud. Um, there's there's so much about, uh, there's so many scenarios within that movie alone that I think could be really great teaching points. Um, what struck me as uh, one of the most interesting things is that if you understand the music space, and, and this is something that I point out in the book, um, you know, copyright, you have to understand that copyright is the staple of the music business. Um, it's at the core of every pub deal, recording agreement, producer agreement. And the, the way that I like to explain it in my lectures is that, you know, if you own a house or a piece of land and somebody wants to rent it or buy it, we naturally understand that it's going to be more than a handshake. It's going to require some sort of, a, you know, a deed or some sort of a rental agreement. We understand that there's a transaction that has to take place, and, and for the most part, it's going to be a written transaction. Well, it's no different with the music that you create, except for it's intellectual property and not real property. So if we can consider the music that we make as, as homes that we owned or, or land that we own, 
we now know that per the law, we can treat these things, our music, as property where we have to do formalized transactions. Like it's a legit right. You have right. legit rights. And I think creative people, they want to get paid from what they do. They don't know how it necessarily makes money, but then you're so focused on uh, creating and the opportunity and getting it to people. You don't understand that you have legit legal rights that are that are noted in the Constitution of the United States. Like people don't know that. So I say all of that to say when you have a producer like Dr. Dre, a songwriter like Ice Cube, who are the home builders, they created the, the songs. They own this property naturally, not because they registered for copyright. They as soon as they created. They naturally own the home. They naturally own it. So to see that these two people were the ones who were not getting paid or, you know, they were creating all of the homes, all of the land. And to see that they were the ones who weren't getting paid or had issues was astounding to me because per the film, this, this wasn't a six month thing like, hey, Jerry, where's our money? This went on for quite some time. And I couldn't for the life of me understand. I just, I just didn't know, well, where was all the money? Where was it being held? You know, what agreements or, you know, outside of the one that they did or didn't sign, what was happening? What, how was it explained to them? Um, there's just so much to it. Uh, the piece where you have people who start off as friends and they're creating and it feels good. And then you enter and you take the music. It's now the music business and the industry. You've kind of gone into the different spheres of the music space. Um, and you're like, oh, well, everything's good. Everything's good. We're going to be taken care of. You know, that's, you know, Easy e that's, that's my homeboy who Easy e apparently has lawyers and he's set up. That was crazy to me. I didn't know the story um, uh, the, from a legal end. Um, so there's just so many things it's like, hey, I understand that, you know, we're all friends. But because you do have these um, legal rights that are natural to you, it's not harmful to sort them out and understand the business of those things. It's your right. And it's a healthy thing to do. Or you try to figure them out on the back end and it's a mess. I think that there's a, there's a key point that I always try to make sure all my students get and any artists that I manage get is that there's this idea that because you're doing art and it's intellectual property, mm-hmm. that there's some, there's like been given this idea that there's an, the artists are embarrassed yep. to ask for money. Yeah. It's almost like, well, I love doing this. It's fun. And the people who are in the, in the suits, I'll call them suits, even though I may be a suit. <laughs> the suits are telling them, hey, you know, like Jerry Heller did, hey, you know how much a, a tour costs? You know how much it, your expenses and hotels cost? And there are all these things, but we're leaving out the idea of intellectual property, which is very important. And you should never be embarrassed to ask for what's yours. So that what was so impactful about that scene was that Ice Cube was willing to stand up and say, you know what? Yep. I'm out of here. He yep. didn't ask for any money first. He didn't knock over a TV. He didn't kick through anything. He literally just understood his worth and was willing to walk out yep. just on the grounds that you're not doing me the way I'm supposed yep. to be being done. My intellectual property is being raped and yeah. pillaged here, and I, I deserve this. This is something that I deserve to yeah. get. Yeah, and I could appreciate in that scene that he understood um, that by him signing that, all 10,000 pages of it, he naturally seemed to understand that he was giving away something that he already had outside of just the creative value. Um, 
And uh, it was a huge, it, I don't know how many pages it was, but that's about the size of it. And for him to stand there and kind of thumb through it, some people will just sign it because they're afraid of what it looks like. Oh, I've got this in my hands. I don't really know what it is. So let me just go ahead and sign it, which seems like the opposite thing of what you should do, right? So I really, really loved that scene because it was a, it was profound. It was it was profound because he had a ton of rights. He had a ton of rights and a ton of money. Um, so that was a that's what I wish everyone would do. Uh, as a, as a side, the scene where he goes in, um, I can't remember the record label, and he uh, bashes up the office. Oh, um, uh, priority. Yeah, priority. Yeah. Um, based off of my experience. There isn't an artist that hasn't wanted to do that <laughs> at some point, right. and justifiably so. Um, and it's interesting because that was back then. I think that's very much the case now. Dealing with major record labels, very, very frustrating. Um, even on the the talent on on the higher end, it's such a fight. It's such it's such a fight. Um, whether it's money, whether it's creative vision. Uh, whether it's the strategy, where you know the rollout, uh, they're very they're very tough to deal with. And for those of you who are listening, who think that the labels are all knowing, they don't really know much. Especially about the new music industry. Oh man, they they don't uh, they don't know. Well, much. Everybody trying to figure that out, right? I mean, absolutely everyone. Um, and like I said earlier, when you you deal with all of these people and in entities that, as a kid, you grew up and you were like, oh my god. Um, you're like, wow, they don't really know what's going on. You know, I send you an email asking you a question, then you send me an email back asking me the question that I just asked you. What? <laughs> what? So, you know, people who are aspiring in the music space, certainly be encouraged. Certainly be, be encouraged. Um, you know, have your talent and be smart. Y- you know some things. You definitely know some things. So I, I heard you earlier when you were talking about all the things that, that you do in, in your services. Um, you, you may not have said protector, but you kind of touched on it. Yeah. At what point do you think it's necessary for someone? I mean, obviously with you, it's important to get you involved early because you're not just mm-hmm. doing the legal aspects. But at what point do you absolutely have to get somebody involved from a legal standpoint? What types of things need to be happening in your career for you to actually pull the trigger on that? I, well, um you know, as as a lawyer, my answer to that question is it depends. Um, mm. <laughs> it depends. You know, if you're if you're going the independent route, which a lot of people are doing, you definitely want to get in front of a lawyer to educate you about your plans for the next six to twelve months. Um, you want to understand that you know, if I'm an artist and I'm putting together a five song EP that I did not solely write and, and produce myself, but maybe I had some co-writers and some co-producers. You have to understand what that means for you when you put the song up on iTunes. You know, you, you have to understand what that means for you. Uh, and just because you're independent doesn't mean that your music doesn't have value. You may have an independent, you may be independent and have a song and then Nike reaches out to you. Um, you have to understand what a Nike opportunity of a, you know, a licensing agreement of, you know, $10,000 kind of all in. You have to understand what that means for you and the people that you you co-created with. So it's just it's just things like that. Um, Especially that phrase, and I heard it, all in. 
Yeah, all I in. I heard it. That uh, all, all in. in. Uh, yeah, Boy, yeah. You gotta, you is, gotta, you gotta know what, what you know what action packed. <laughs> what you know what all in means, and I don't expect for uh, anyone to kind of know or a non lawyer to understand what a lawyer does, but there's just some fundamentals that will empower you. Um, you'll have confidence with it, and, and you'll be, you'll be a, you'll be ahead of ahead of the game because you know you can be independent as a hobby. Or you can be legit independent and really taking care of your business along along the way. And it's tough. It's tough. But it's your responsibility if you, you know, if you really, if you really want to do it. And then obviously if you're getting deals from produ- production companies and labels and publishers, you need a lawyer. You 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 absolutely need um, a lawyer because again, if we go with the analogy of, you know, this is your home, the way that these deals are, once you sign them over they're now under new ownership. It's not, oh, you know, you can occupy this for X amount of years. That's not going to be in any initial proposal from any publisher or label. Not to say that you can't get it there, um, but you're giving it away. You're giving it away for what? What's the exchange? You know, what are the obligations? Not the promises. What are the obligations? What's the exchange in value? Um, and, and this, everything I'm talking about is absolutely uncomfortable and frightening um, for most creative people because they just don't understand it. So I, you know, my responsibility is really breaking it down um, in a way where my clients can digest it. And, you know, as I'm talking with them, they generally understand it, but it's going to end up being, all right, Avita, <laughs> take what, you know, what, what, whatever, but it's important that, um, that they're in, that they're informed. So you got to, you got to have some sort of legal counsel at some point. I think it's good to have something as you're starting to help you get your foundation in place. Even if it's just a conversation, right? Even if it's just a conversation, even if it's just a conversation um, and you want to be very, um, you want to do your research about who you can have that conversation with. So low-hanging fruit, what is the thing that you're seeing, a trend that is just awful, a decision that a lot of people are making right now and you just keep seeing the same thing over and over, and it's an awful decision. Oh man, there's a couple of those. Um, anything that says free beats <laughs> or uh, beats release, I'm not even oh. sure. Yeah, I don't think anybody knows what that even, even sure really means. What that means? <laughs> what are you doing? But that's and that's a popular thing because there's a there's different sites out there where producers or beat makers upload and there's a difference. their stuff. There's a difference between which is absolutely and beat why maker. I use that verbiage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is in fact as as a, a young or aspiring producer, this is their introduction to the to the marketplace. Yeah. And a way to do business and make money from my beats. And so they go, yeah, I'm, I, I don't have any hits or I don't have any placements, but I'll get my stuff out there and I'll sell the same beat 10 times. Mm-hmm. Right. And you don't own it, but you can lease it. Each. But what? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's a crazy thing. Um, but I understand, I understand it. I understand what they're trying to do. So I get that. So I can always, you know, if I'm having a conversation with someone and that's what they're doing, you know, I might be at a music conference or something and somebody tells me that's what they're doing. I understand the intent of it. I absolutely get it. You're trying to 
make it in this space. You want to get your music out there. You, ha- you have some sort of idea, though. You do have some sort of idea that there's a difference between owning and letting someone use it temporarily. So I, I kind of applaud that. I applaud that. Um, but it's just the, uh, the fundamental knowledge. It's just, not, it's just not there, which is why we have the, why we have the book. Um, I want to help everyone just understand, like, these are the fundamentals, and they're going to help you where you are. I understand why you're talking about beats for lease. I get that. But it's absurd as far as the concept of it. So let's talk about how we can kind of get you to a place that makes more sense. Ultimately, what you're talking about is a license of sorts. Now we have to talk about what the terms of that license. Oh, you're you're leasing it for $10. Okay. You know, so there's just all kinds of pieces to it. But it's just, um, I always say there's a ton of information about the music business. There's so much information available to people, but uh, there's just not a lot of knowledge. So ultimately what I concluded was that creative people, they learn in a certain way. And that's why it's a workbook that I've written and not a book. Um, it is a guide. It is a fill in the blank. Um, you know, there's going to be Participate. a- Yes, there's going to be a website supplement to it with videos and um, you know, and whatnot, and to the extent that people are willing to do it. I mean, it's like a, it's 80 pages, but then there's like charts and graphs and pictures and, and whatnot. And not to discredit how creative people learn, I am a creative person. Um, you give me something that's 400 pages, I'm, it's not going to stick. And I'm a lawyer. Um, but what will stick for me is charts and graphs. And I mean, this is how I learn. So naturally, I said, okay, well, this is, this is how creative people this is how they learn it and being able to do music conferences and whatnot and, and see that in practice. Like it is a, it is a real thing. Um, so, you know, the, the free beats or beats release. Um, and you're talking about from an artist standpoint, don't use these. Is that the advice your, your legal counsel? Oh man. Um, so I guess I've got legal counsel from all kinds of ways. So from a, a producer or a beat maker standpoint, we're going to have the conversation about a license and the proper way to do that. And perhaps you have a kind of a, a standard, I hate to use the word standard, uh, but like a, a standard um, one sheeter that you use where you kind of fill in the name and the number, but you've got your, your legal concepts, you've got those taken care of. Um, from, a, from an artist standpoint, um, you know, what I would say is, well, it, it'll never be exclusive to you. Um, even if they lease the beat to someone for six months, if it's on the web, it'll be there forever. Um, so it's just, <laughs> you know, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of, let's talk about what makes sense to you and what actually makes sense for real. Right. <laughs> <laughs> For real. And I and I and I have a I have a lot of those conversations um about like hey, I understand why you may think this way, but let's talk about seriously what what is it? And yeah. So let me give you a, a, a I guess a scenario then. Okay. All right. So, okay, I'm a rapper, right? And I found some Went to one of those websites. I found some guy, and I thought his beats was dope, and he was leasing it for twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. So I bought a lease, and okay. I recorded my song, and it got popular. 
And it started hitting. Yeah. Okay. And so now labels are calling and so on and so forth. What am I doing? Oh, man. And it's and it's interesting because you kind of came up with this thing off top of your head. But I know just what I can think of three instances where that actually has happened. And when I say the records have been big, we're talking gigantic records. It'll be some producer who leased something and he's in the middle of Timbuktu, New Zealand. I mean, it has actually happened. Um, so as a, in your scenario as a rapper... Um, there's a couple legal legal concepts there. You know, if um, does the label want this song? Do they want to now take it and distribute it? Um, I think that's where you're going to come into the real issue because outside of a label wanting to use it, um, you and that producer are uh, joint owners of that song, um, which means that the producer can use that song however he wants to use it on a non-exclusive basis, and you can do the same. As long as, you know, if you're making money from it, you pay him his share and, you know, you get yours. And per the law, unless you all agree otherwise, you're going to be uh, equal and joint owners in the um, in the song. And then on the, the composition side, on the publishing side, you all will have to work that out. And that's where the splits come, come into place. But let's say a record label wants that song. Um, the record label is going to have to get uh, the rights from the producer. And it will not be on a licensed basis. So they would have to go back to the producer, get a full-on producer agreement, and get an assignment of that copyright in the master. They would need to get the same from you. Would probably be in the if they want to sign you in the form of your your artist deal. Um, and then they have to license the composition, the publishing side from you. So it's um you know it's it's not that much of a it can be worked out. But let's take your scenario, and then you've got this other party that has that that track. And they've got a song that's kind of moving um, as well. You know, I, I, let's assume that there was no paperwork with your lease. <laughs> I mean, let's just assume that. And let's assume that there was no paperwork with the uh, Right, like know, we, was just, we were just texting. Yeah, just, you know, just, just texting. Email, and, and there was, um, and, you know, there was no conversation about anything being um, exclusive. I mean, it's, there's no sort of violations there. Um, you've got two songs that are existing they're two completely different uh properties and as long as you understood that it wasn't on an exclusive basis now if you thought it was on an exclusive basis um not just in theory (laughs) not just in theory you know if it was on an exclusive basis then the producer is then you know in breach of that contract because there's somebody else out there who has it so therefore it is not exclusive I could run with this scenario. Yeah. <laughs> so Four okay. Days. So I heard you. I heard you mention something that man. It just really speaks to me, and that is that you said you hate saying the word standard. And I want. Yeah. I want to end on this. So talk to me about why you hate standard. I'm because I'm. I'm thinking in my mind that this has a lot to do with something you said earlier, which is that there the rules are kind of just yep. out there, and we're forging our way through it. So talk to me why about why standard is is not the right word Man. when it comes to contracts and when it comes to deals. Yeah. So so standard it, it makes me like it makes me cringe and for so many reasons. Um so I'll kind of run down the line. Uh one instance is where I may get a phone call from someone seeking my services. Yeah, you know, I got this producer agreement. Um I need a lawyer to look at it. You know, I looked at it. It seems pretty standard. One, I'm not working with you at that point. Um, because I can guarantee you, you don't even know. Um, so I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. Because you basically, you called me and told me that this should be pretty easy for me because it's standard, which you don't know. It's like, I can't. 
I just can't. So, so that's one that just makes me cringe. It's like we we cannot work together. Um, and then uh, on the on a, a bigger scale, people use the word standard. Usually, people with the most leverage will use standard to make uh, up and comers, content creators feel like, oh, this is the usual. You need to go ahead and just sign it because it's it's the standard and it frustrates me so much um, because there's no deal that I have in my file cabinets. It's the same. I may get an agreement from a label or a publisher. It's their typical proposal, but I'm going to, I, I call myself a, a kitchen sinker, meaning that I will redline the hell out of an agreement. That's just who I am. Explain um, what redline means, just, just in uh, case. Redline is you send me an agreement and I go through it on behalf of my client and I mark it up. A redline is a markup. So I am a kitchen sinker. Everything that doesn't need to be in there, I don't want it in there, it doesn't work for my client, I am getting rid of it. I don't care who it is or how much money is attached to it. And then we can work our way. <laughs> then we can work our way up from 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 there. But I am a, I'm an all in. Like that's just I get an agreement. I get excited. I roll my sleeves up. I am going in. It's kind of like a, a, a sparring of sorts. It's like ooh challenge. Um, so I guess it's just kind of kind of my thing. But I will I will absolutely redline. And so when people say oh you know it's standard, just go ahead and sign it. Then you have this uh, young talent who's just like I just want the opportunity. I just want to. I just want to make music. They say it's standard, and then they see my. Uh, and before I do the kitchen sink red line, I'm having a conversation with them about the agreement and what needs to change. And I'm going to walk you through this whole thing as long as you're willing to listen. And they're overwhelmed, but it's my job to make sure that they're they're comfortable and they're calm and you know that they trust me. Um, but I don't like standard when people use it that way. And in a third instance, maybe. Um. I struggle when non-lawyers will talk to me and say, oh, you know, it's, 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 it's just standard when they want something from my client. I have yet to meet a manager that can match my knowledge of a legal agreement. But I have met many a managers who will try, <laughs> who, who, who will absolutely try. So, oh, you know, it's just standard, it's just standard. And so when I hear standard a lot. Like that's the... It makes me feel like you don't know what's happening. You don't know what's going on. So that's that's why it makes me cringe. That's, I mean, that's a perfect answer. I, I appreciate that. I think that all the listeners need to pay attention to everything that was said in that because when you're going into a situation, understand that the people who are telling you that it's standard probably are either one, trying to get over on you a little bit, maybe not in a heinous way, but just a, a simple way uh, to make the paperwork go through easily. Mm-hmm. Or they're, they may be trying to get the best of you. And as long as you're empowered knowing that there are no hard, fast rules, there are some things that people are not willing to give up right. or do. But there are no hard, fast rules. Your, your talent may be enough to make them change what their rules are. Yeah, absolutely. So never allow someone to tell you that it's standard and just go with that. Yeah, and it's, it's always my position that you know I don't care what level you're on as far as your success and what you want to achieve. If someone is giving you paperwork or a deal of some sorts, they want to be a part of what you're doing in some way, shape, or form. Um, they may not be willing to go too far before they're like, hey, this is, you know, this is costing me more than what I'm interested in. But on some level, they want to be in business with you. And they see uh, value in you. They see, they see value in you. So um, a couple of things that have come up over the years where um, 
I may be representing a, an up and coming writer or producer and somebody has taken advantage of their work and then I'll get a call from their lawyer saying, oh, well, you know, it's, uh, you know, we don't, you know, we don't really kind of, we don't really know them or this, that, and the third. And it's just, it's like, well, actually, um, well, actually <laughs> your client saw value in what my client created. So we have an issue that you need to pay for. And because it's after the fact, you're going to have to pay for more now. <laughs> oh, Avita, we really appreciate you coming through. Uh, please plug yourself. Tell us how, how we can get in touch with you. Tell us about the book when it comes out. Yay. Okay. Well, I am Avita Kegler. You can certainly find me on social media at attorney underscore E-G-K. Again, that's attorney underscore E-G-K. You can find me on the Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. Um, you can also visit www.avitakegler.com, learn about my legal services, my uh, future music attorneys program for college students and law students interested in the music law profession. Uh, and then you can visit don'tforgetaboutthemusic.com. Again, that's don'tforgetaboutthemusic.com, where I talk about the whole platform and how it's there to uh, educate artists, producers, songwriters, music business entrepreneurs, the workbook that's coming out and releasing on September 22nd, so in a couple of weeks. So just uh, connect with me, social media, visit those sites. Um, I want to hear all of your feedback, your ideas, your questions. I want to help. I want to educate. I want to change the world using music as my platform. Thank oh, you so much. Cool. And Kev, Kev, I know that um, you feel the same way as I do. Uh, our listeners need to probably listen to this one twice. Oh, yeah. I mean... Uh, Oh my God! A lot you happened dropped an hour. so many jewels in it. Matter of fact, let me just say this because you, you said I love that you refer to the music as property, like as opposed to it being something that just exists in the air or in our heads. It's a, a tangible item that you can actually earn money from. And, and the scheme, matter of fact, oh my God, the scheme has has changed so much because even like recently, Kanye announced. That he was running for president. Yes. Right? Did y'all hear about this? 2020. Right. He announced <laughs> that he would run for president <laughs> in 2020. But someone heard that and immediately went and bought, bought the, the domain. domain. Yes. Right? Kanye for president. And now I'm hearing that he's, I guess, gotten offers of eighty dollars to $100,000 off a domain that cost him $1. It was $1? I was going to say 12 Yo, like, well, he, he probably had to get the dot com, dot org, dot net, so on, so oh, like all the different variations. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got to protect it. So right. understanding the, the intellectual property right. and even something as simple as buying the domain name or the Twitter handle, like, that's crazy. And so I, I thank you for being able to put people in the mindset of it being a real thing that you can earn real money from. Like, the Constitution. Yeah, for real, yeah. for real. Yeah. You never read it before. <laughs> read that. <laughs> Nobody's reading the Constitution. <laughs> uh, don't read that twice. You have to read that more than twice, like, I'm sure. Nah, son. <laughs> I'll <laughs> right. tell you where the section is. <laughs> okay, yeah, do that. What section? Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> section 8 something something. <laughs> yeah, nobody's reading that. <laughs> but listeners, we really appreciate you guys tuning in once again to the 9010 rule. Thank you again. This is Kevin Davis. And Brian Jennings. Till next time. To submit topic suggestions, email us at info at the 9010rule.com.